Thank you, Ben. And thank you, church. And Jay, I appreciate the recognition. And, uh, you know, being here for 20 years, you know, 20 years ago, we never thought we'd be here for 20 years. Because uh, a lot of people don't stay around a church for 20 years. But I've now lived almost half my life in Thompson, Georgia. And it's home and your family. And I love and appreciate you all so much. And I'm so grateful that God has kept me here all these years. And I hope you're grateful for that, too. <laughs> If you'll please take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 14. You know, as, as Ben talked about, you know, the things that, that mean something to us, that we put value in that nobody else might care about. It might be worthless. You know, one man's trash is another man's treasure kind of an idea. And the world may look at you and people may look at you and say you're trash. They may look at you and say you don't measure up. You may feel that way that you don't measure up, that you don't matter. How much could I possibly be worth? And it's been so wonderfully helped us see we are worth so much to God. You are of infinite value to Jesus. He loved you so much that He moved heaven and earth to be with you. He died on the cross so you could spend eternity with Him. That's how much He values us and He loves us. And today I want us to think about how much do we love Him? How much is Jesus worth to you? How much is He worth to me? Now, we're in Mark chapter 14. You may think, well, David, what happened in Mark chapter 13? Are we skipping Mark chapter 13? Well, for the time being. We're going to come back to that at the end of this series. I feel like that it worked really well there because we'll follow up the resurrection with Jesus is teaching on the second coming. We'll get to do that on Cross the King Sunday, right before Advent. So we'll be talking about his second Advent right before we look at his first Advent. And, uh, and then this also kind of frees us up to be able to actually do the message on the Lord's Supper on the 17th when we do the Lord's Supper. So just kind of, you know, working this a little bit around uh, for, for timing purposes. But we will come back to Mark chapter 13. But I want to recap kind of where we've been. Because we've kind of been here in the first couple of days of Holy Week for about a month now. So Jesus, remember, on Palm Sunday, He rides triumphantly into Jerusalem as the Messiah, the Son of David, and rightful King of Israel. He cleansed the temple as the ultimate high priest, and then He challenged the religious leaders and the religious establishment over their hypocrisy and their pride, just like one of the Old Testament prophets would have done. And that brings us up to the events of Mark chapter 14. If you look, at, look with me at the first couple of verses here, it was two days before the Passover... And the festival of unleavened bread, the chief priests and scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. And at the very beginning of verse 3, it says, While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. So Mark is giving us the context of when and where this takes place. After Jesus' lengthy confrontation with the religious leaders, his teaching on his second coming and God's imminent judgment on Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples retire to more friendly territory. They go to Bethany. Now, Bethany was two miles away from Jerusalem. It's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And it sort of acted as their home base when they were in Jerusalem. Matthew and Mark tell us the setting of this meal is in the home of Simon the leper. Now, we don't know anything else about Simon the leper. But John's gospel tells us that this particular meal was in honor of Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead a few days before. And 
Martha, Lazarus' sister, was being very Martha. She was serving the meal. And Mary, if you remember that other story, was being very Mary. She was there with Jesus in the room, and she is the one that anoints his head with the perfume. That's what John tells us. And so Mary, Martha were Lazarus' sister, and all three of them were very dear friends of Jesus. So who was this Simon the leper? Well, it could be that he is a relative of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, maybe even their father. Or it could be he was just another wealthy, influential person in Bethany that Jesus had healed. He probably had healed him of his leprosy. Uh, But we don't really know in Mark's gospel. Now, Mark bookends the story we're going to look at here at the beginning with the hatred that the religious leaders have for Jesus. Then we have this amazing story we're going to look at of extravagant love and worship followed up by a brief account of Judas's betrayal of Jesus out of greed and jealousy. And the reason that Mark frames this story with both of those different groups, the religious leaders and, and Judas, is he wants us to consider the question, which of them am I like? How much is Jesus worth to me? What kind of value do I ascribe to Jesus? So let's continue the story. Let's look at verses 13 and verses 3 through 11. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then... Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for an opportunity to betray him. Now, let's think back to those first two verses we read, verses 1 and 2. And let's consider how much was Jesus worth to the religious leaders. Well, I think that's a fairly obvious answer, right? Jesus wasn't worth anything to the religious leaders. They they were only concerned about their own power and prestige and position in the community. They didn't care anything about Jesus, even though they did fear Him and hate Him. You know, when Jesus was up in Galilee and He was teaching the crowds and working miracles, He was a nuisance. But now Jesus is in Jerusalem. At Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, when the crowds, the people, the common people from Galilee and Judea have come to Jerusalem and they swell the population of the city from 50,000 to 250,000. It's sort of like Augusta at the Masters, right? I mean, it just, it just, all these people come to town. And, and it's a big deal. And in that kind of environment, Jesus was no mere nuisance. He was a threat to their power and authority. You see, the, 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 the religious elite in Jerusalem, their power and authority, their, their prosperity was at Rome's leisure. And if they could keep the focus of the people on religious ritual rather than 
nationalistic zeal, then maybe they could appease the masses enough to keep Rome happy. And if Rome ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So they really wanted to do all they could to keep Rome docile. So Jesus' arrival at this time really stirred the crowds to a religious fervor that made everyone in power really, really nervous. Jesus was popular with the crowds. That added to the tension that already resulted when that many religiously uh, zealous people would come to Jerusalem there at the temple, but you got Roman soldiers kind of breathing down your neck. And so the religious leaders said, we need to handle Jesus. We need to capture Jesus. We need to arrest him. But we need to do it quietly, secretly, away from the city, preferably at night. And Judas would help them to accomplish all of that. See, the atmosphere in Jerusalem at this time every year was like a powder keg. And Jesus to them was the match. And he was likely to light that powder keg into an explosion of protests and riots and all kinds of things. And if that happened, Rome would certainly descend with an iron fist and these elite religious leaders would lose all their plush positions and perks. So they wanted to get rid of Jesus by any means necessary. You know, aren't you glad you live in 21st century America where our politicians and leaders don't try to manipulate our faith for their own personal positions and power? Isn't that nice? That we've evolved past the point where groups with agendas to forward and with, you know, interests to protect, they don't fear Jesus and His followers and try to paint us as some kind of extremists, right? Isn't that great? No, people still fear Jesus and His message. They still push back because they see them as a threat to their power and their positions and their agendas. People still want to do away with Jesus because, to the, because Jesus was a reminder to the CEOs and the politicians that they are not in charge. That God is on His throne and He is the sovereign King. They resist that truth. They deny that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But you know what? we need to pause for a moment and consider what are the ways in which we tend to try to remove Jesus from our life? Or at the very least, keep Him at arm's length. You may say, well, you know, David, I would never be like those religious leaders. I would never want to try to do something like that. But what about when we give in to our fear or our apathy and we fail to share the gospel with people that we know are lost? And we fail to invite people to come and to worship with us at church? Or when we choose to stay away from worshiping God with His church. Or when we neglect to read and obey His Word. Or when we fail to go to Him in prayer. You see, all too often, we're guilty of having little to nothing to do with Jesus aside from Sundays. Are we keeping Him outside? Maybe not outside the city, but outside of our heart. Outside of our workplace. Outside of our circle of friends. To to the religious leaders, Jesus was worth nothing. What about to the woman? How much was Jesus worth to the woman? Well, spikenard was an aromatic oil that came from a perennial plant that grew in the mountains of India by blind monks. I don't know about that part. But, I mean, it it was just one of those just rare... It's like, you know, it was so hard to come by that in the ancient world that it was extremely, extremely expensive. Alabaster, the jar that held this expensive perfume itself, 
was a, a beautiful white translucent stone often used in ancient cultures for ornamental purposes like storing precious oils and perfumes and things like that. And they would put the perfume in there. They would seal the top of it with wax so that when you wanted to use it, you had to break the top off, which meant that it was a single use. So we're not talking like a Costco-sized jar of nard here. This was a little single-use alabaster bottle of perfume and still it cost a year's wages to purchase it. That is how valuable and expensive this was. And so to some of the disciples, especially Judas, this was a wasteful act. What purpose did that serve? Where is the return on that kind of an investment? I mean, think of all of the good that 300 denarii could accomplish. Now, here they are at Passover, and it was traditional Passover to give alms to the poor. Think of all the poor people you could clothe and feed for 300 denarii. Certainly nothing could justify that kind of wasteful act. Now, when we read the story, we wonder, who is this woman that does this? Mark doesn't tell us much about her, but Jesus says that because of what she did, she'll be remembered and honored and celebrated whenever and wherever the gospel is proclaimed, but we don't even know her name. Mark doesn't even give her a name. Thankfully, John does. John 12 reveals that this was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but Mark purposefully leaves her nameless because he wants her actions to identify her. It's not about who she is or who her family is or, or what, anything like that. It's about what she did for Jesus. That's what matters. That's what will mark her for all of time and eternity. To the religious leaders, Jesus meant nothing. But to the woman with the alabaster jar, Jesus meant everything. To her, Jesus was worth more than a year's income. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine spending a year's income in a moment like that? It blows my mind. I can't imagine that. That's exactly what she did as she poured this expensive perfume on Jesus' head. It was an extravagant act of pure love, devotion, and worship. Judas was offended by such an absurd act devoted exclusively to love alone, but Jesus called it beautiful. Which in the Greek, the Greek word there can mean either aesthetically pleasing or morally right. And I think that her actions were both. It was the right thing to do, and it was a beautiful thing to do. That's the essence of worship. And think about that word, worship. It comes from two different English words. Worth, ship. What is something worth to you? That is your worship. And the essence of worship is to regard Jesus with the utmost love, respect, and devotion. It's the willingness to sacrifice what is most precious to us, which is exactly what she did. Reminds me of a story about King David from 2 Samuel chapter 24, where David has rebelled against the Lord, he's disobeyed God, and God has sent a plague on the people, and so David wants to make a sacrifice to God to, to get him to relent from this plague on the people. And it says in verse 21 that Aruna, this man that Jesus comes to, said, Why has my Lord the King come to his servant? And David replied, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague on the people may be halted. Aruna said to David, My Lord the King may take whatever he wants and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for wood. Your Majesty, Aruna gives everything here to the king. 
Then he said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But look what David answered him. He said, No, I insist on buying it from you for a price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the plot of ground. See, God isn't interested in acts of worship or service that cost us nothing. He isn't impressed with lip service. He's not interested in virtue signaling. He wants us to be all in, fully invested in His kingdom. He wants us to love Him and serve Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What this woman did for Jesus was not some mindless, just going through the motions act of worship. Nor was it some spontaneous emotional act as well. No, this was thought through. She came prepared. She made the choice to give her all to Jesus. And when Jesus said she has done what she could, He meant she has given what she had. She did what she was able to do. It reminds me of the story at the end of chapter 12 we looked at last week. The widow's might. Here you've got this widow. She comes into the temple. All these big, big spenders are there. These money bags. And they're putting money in the offerings. And she puts in two small coins that even together don't equal a penny today. She puts it in there and Jesus says that she has given more because she gave out of her want, out of her need, not out of abundance, not out of the surplus. And just like this woman, her act was beautiful because she invested herself in it and so Jesus called it noble. She had given to the one all she had who was about to give his life for her. And in so doing, she did for Jesus what no one else had done. Think about this. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as the king. Nobody anointed him. When Jesus cleansed the temple as the high priest, no one anointed his head with oil. When Jesus confronted the religious leaders like an Old Testament prophet, he had not been anointed until now. This woman anointed Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king and as the soon-to-be sacrificial Passover lamb. That's what she did. That's the significance of what she did. She didn't understand that. She didn't realize that she was anointing His body for burial. But she's an example for us of the beauty and the simplicity of faithful love, of absolute faith. She's the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. One who worships in spirit and in truth with costly, sacrificial self-giving. She is an example of somebody who is all in with Jesus. How much is Jesus worth to you? Is He worth a year's income? Is He worth the time and the effort you would put into a year's worth of work? Oh, I would say He is. I would say Jesus is worth that and infinitely more because He is the King of my heart and the lover of my soul. He is worth more to me than anything. Is He worth more than anything to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? And more importantly, does your life show that to be true? How does your bank account and your calendar reflect how much Jesus is worth to you? Because how can we say He is priceless, a treasure beyond compare, if we can't even give Him a tenth? If we can't even give Him a few hours a week in worship and service? How much 
is Jesus really worth to us? How much was Jesus worth to Judas Iscariot? Here we come to the last couple of verses of this passage. and You know, Jesus was worth a year's wages to this woman, but to Judas, he was worth 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. It's plain to see where Judas's heart was. It was with his treasure. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, Judas knew all about treasures because he was the treasurer for Jesus and the disciples. And so when we look at Judas's actions here, it's clear that he cared more for the money than he did for the Messiah. He was in it for the money. So when Judas raised objections to this wasteful pouring of perfume on Jesus, he he claimed to be thinking about the poor and all that they could do for the poor. How noble of him, right? But John 12 explains, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, if Judas was willing to rob Jesus behind his back, claiming he's caring for the poor, is it really that much of a stretch to think that he would betray Jesus to his face with a kiss? Judas was willing to do whatever it took to get whatever it was he wanted. Matthew is the one who tells us the amount of money that Judas was offered to betray Jesus. It says, Then then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Here he is bargaining negotiating over a price for Jesus. So they counted out for him 30 silver coins, and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now 30 pieces of silver was the equivalent of 120 denarii. Laborers at that time were customarily paid one denarius a day. So this was the equivalent of four months worth of salary. According to Exodus 21:32, 30 silver shekels was also the amount you would have to pay if your ox accidentally killed someone's slave. So Judas sold Jesus for the price of a slave. For the wages equal to four months' work. Here Judas sat under Jesus' teachings, witnessed his miracles, walked and ate and slept at his side for, for three years. But he sold his most precious friend in all the world for the price of a slave for four months' worth of work, for less than half of what the woman was willing to pour out in love for Jesus. The woman offered to Jesus a gift worthy of a king. Judas received for Jesus the price worthy of a slave. Judas's problem was that he never really loved Jesus. And Jesus was a means to an end. Jesus was important so long as Judas needed him. You know, Judas, like the other disciples, he expected Jesus to bring this political revolution. He expected Jesus to overthrow Rome, to set up a throne in Jerusalem. Judas was looking for power and for a position and a palace. But the woman loved Jesus for nothing more than who he was. We need to consider who we are most like in our pursuit of Jesus. Think about what and how you pray. Are you only ever seeking Jesus' hand, what Jesus can do for you? Or are you seeking Jesus' face? Just to be in His presence. Just to be loved by Him. Are you more concerned with what Jesus gives or with who Jesus is? 
It's like what Psalm 27.4 says. The psalmist prays and says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His holy temple. Timothy Keller writes about that passage. He says, Gazing is not a one-time glimpse, but a steady, sustained focus. It's not petitionary prayer, but praising, admiring, and enjoying God just for who He is. David finds God beautiful, not just useful for attaining goods. What about you? How much is Jesus worth to you? Just a few thousand dollars? Just a few months' salary? Is Jesus' worth to you determined on how useful He can be to you? You know, when, when you get sick, when times are tough, when the budget's tight, when your relationships are rocky, that's when you come to Jesus? That's when Jesus means something to you? What about when times are good? What about when you've got everything you ever wanted? How much is Jesus worth to you then? I ask that because it's an unfortunate reality that so many so-called Christians today have. They have a Judas mindset Only when they need something. Only when they need some help. That's when they come rushing back to God and to the church. That's when they open up the Bible. That's when they bend their knees in prayer. Jesus is like a spare tire. He's there when you need Him. Otherwise, He's in the trunk and you don't think much about Him. Later on in chapter 21, Jesus will say this in Mark 14. uh, I'm sorry, in verse 21. He'll say, The Son of Man will go just as it's written about Him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Judas's betrayal of Jesus is worse than what the religious leaders were trying to do. Their desire to do away with Jesus because Judas claimed to be Jesus' friend. He, he let people believe that he was a follower of Jesus. The religious leaders rejected Jesus out of fear over him and his message out of envy, but Judas betrayed his friend with a kiss for money, for personal gain. He feigned caring about Jesus and caring for the poor, but really Judas just cared about himself. You know, Judas's name will be remembered for all time as the traitor of the Son of God, as the one who betrayed Jesus. Contrast that with what Jesus said about this woman. When he said, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Both the woman and Judas are remembered for the worth that they ascribe to Jesus. To Judas, 30 pieces of silver. To the woman, everything she had. She gave her all. Her actions will live on for all time because she loved Jesus extravagantly. Which characters do you most identify with? The religious leaders? Judas? Or this woman? Are you sold out? This woman was sold out for Jesus. Or are you a sellout like Judas? What's the price tag you've placed on Jesus? Is He really precious to you? And how do you show that love? How do you express that devotion? How do you let God know how much He is worth to you? 
Consider what your jar of perfume may be. What is it that you've got that is so valuable, that is worth so much to you, that if you were to give it up, it would be an act of reckless extravagance? What is that for you? Is it your career? Your house? Your car? Your hobby? Your Legos? Uh, You know. Is it your dream? These things are fine. They're good. They're good. They're fine to have. But are you holding on to them selfishly and fearfully that you will lose them? Or have you already dedicated them to the Lord? He's not necessarily asking you to sell it or to give it away. He's asking you to give it to Him. To dedicate your career to Him. To dedicate your hopes and dreams to Him. To dedicate to Him all the material gain that He has blessed you with. Dedicate it to Him. Use it for His glory. And you may be saying, but David, you're asking too much. That's too much to give to Jesus. I'll worship Him on Sundays. I'll, I'll give Him a tenth of my income, maybe. Isn't that enough? Isn't that the attitude of the disciples at Simon's house? Listen, it boils down to this. It boils down to this. You don't owe Jesus a single thing. Now hear me out here. You don't owe Jesus a single thing. You owe Him everything. You owe Him everything. Listen, Jesus doesn't care about the amount of money you give Him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's not after your wallet. He's after you. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Because if Jesus has you, if you're all in with Him, you will give cheerfully. You will serve sacrificially like the woman because you love Him. And that's what brings joy to the Father's heart that you love Him. That's what He wants. How much is Jesus worth to you? Ben asked the question in the children's sermon, how much are you worth to Jesus? And Jesus answered that question on the cross. You are of infinite worth and value to Him. He poured out His life on that tree. He, you know, the woman may have, may have poured out expensive perfume on Jesus, but Jesus poured out His blood for you. He poured out His life to wash away your sins, to make you new, so you could pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Jesus gave that for you. And that is an extravagant gift of love. Amen? I have to imagine that this nard, which was extremely, extremely potent, just a little bit, would would just really do more than enough for you. And, And I imagine that this ointment that she poured on his head was in his hair all the next day. As he was beaten, he could smell that aroma. As he carried the cross down the streets of Jerusalem, he could smell the aroma of her sacrificial love. As he hung on the cross and his head hung down and the hair hung around his face, he could smell the aroma of that extravagant love. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, He pours out His precious blood on you. He pours His Holy Spirit in you to renew you from the inside out, to give you the anointing of abundant and eternal life and to be a constant reminder of Jesus' sacrificial love for you. You will carry that aroma of Christ with you for all of time and eternity. It never wears off. 
Is there anything more valuable than that? Is there anything worth more to you than that? Is there anyone who's more valuable to you than the one who gave his life for you? That he took the wrath of God upon himself, the sinless Son of God became sin, that you might have his righteousness? Is there anything you'd rather have than that? Is there anything this world affords that can beat that? No, there is not. I would rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. What about you? This morning, my prayer is if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not come to Him and you've not laid down your sins at His feet, I mean, you think about that. Think about holding on to your sin, holding on to filthy rags, holding on to poison, holding on to death and decay. When you refuse to come to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, that's what you're holding on to. Jesus says, give it to me. Give me the hurt and the pain. Give me the guilt and the shame. I'll make you whole. I'll make you new. I'll make you clean. I'll give you a fresh start in life. Would you come today and receive that fresh start? Christian, follower of Jesus, let me speak to you for a moment. Jesus is your, is your Savior. You've welcomed Him into your life. You've given your heart to Him. He's forgiven you of your sins. But you know, sometimes through life, we start to try to take little bits and pieces of it back. We start to kind of put Jesus at arm's length and say, Jesus, not here. You step outside over there while I'm with these people. You step outside, uh, over here outside when, on Friday night. You step outside over here when I'm at work. I don't want you to hear the language I use. So you just go right out there, Jesus. Do you need to come today and surrender your all to Him? Do you need to come today and say, Jesus, I have put some things above you. I've been treating some things as more valuable than you. But Jesus, I'd rather have you than any of this. I invite you to come today and renew your commitment to Him. Pour out your life on Him as that woman poured out that perfume. And walk today in a closer walk with Jesus. That's my prayer for us today. Would you stand? We're going to pray and we're going to sing about how how much Jesus is worth to us. And I hope and pray that as you sing this song, it really is the truth of your heart. Father, thank you for loving us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it in the least. You are so good to us. You are so infinitely better to us than what we could ever ask or earn or deserve or expect. And we thank you for being a God of extravagant love. Father, there are some people that may be here or listening on the radio or online, that they don't know that love. They've not experienced that love. Father, I pray that they would come in humility today and they would lay their life down for You, that they would give it to You and ask You to forgive them and to make them new and to come and live inside of them and help them to follow You. I pray that we would see someone today come to life in Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here that needs to renew their walk with You, they need to recommit their heart to You, they need to take those things that they've slowly kind of taken back from you and they need to return them to the one to whom they belong. You are our King, our Lord. Everything is yours. I pray that they would be able to come in humility and do that today and that we could walk out these doors closer to you, more dedicated to you, willing to lavish our love upon you because you do deserve it. We ask it all in the strong, beautiful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.